For our scripture reading this morning, I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel according to Matthew. Matthew chapter 5, I'll begin reading at verse 1 to verse 12. This morning we will be focusing on verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. If you are using a pew Bible, that can be found on page 962. As you are turning there, uh, last week, boys and girls, I asked if you could find out what that word Ebenezer means. I had a couple young children come to me last week in the evening, but if you want to have an opportunity after the service to let me know what that word means, I'll be up here after the service, after I'm done greeting, I'll come down here and then you can let me know what that word means and I have something for you. But if you don't know what that word means then if you can take away something from the sermon this morning that the Lord spoke to you on or taught you, and you want to let me know what that is, I'll have something for you as well. So, Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Thus far, the reading of God's word may it is blessing upon the preaching and teaching of it. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, as I've been mentioning the past number of weeks as we've been looking at the Beatitudes and hearing sermons on these Beatitudes, I've been saying that this is a description of believers, Christians, who dwell in God's kingdom and how they are to live in light of being citizens in God's kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirits. Blessed are those who mourn, those who are meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are merciful. They are merciful. We looked at that last week. This doesn't mean that the truth is compromised and justice withheld. I want to make an additional point to that that Christians are merciful as citizens in God's kingdom toward their neighbor. But this doesn't mean that we appeal to the state to allow injustices and evil to exist. We belong to Christ and his church first and foremost, and we are called to be merciful citizens of his kingdom. And the state is called to carry the sword, not the Christian. And so Jesus speaks to the call of the Christian to live in his kingdom in righteousness. And I had to add that about the merciful because of in light of what's going on in the world in which we live today, particularly in the Middle East, what's going on there. 
and everybody making judgment calls on what is right, what is the merciful thing to do. This morning, we take up the beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Wow. Let your mind capture that. For they shall see God. I hope by the end of this sermon, I pray that we will be captivated by that. I, I was just thinking as we were singing this song, Love Divine, All Love's Excelling. I didn't catch this when I chose this song, but I, I picked it up when we were singing it. Till we cast our crowns before thee, lost in wonder, love, and praise. Lost in wonder, love, and praise. I'm thinking to myself, they shall see God. How do you even contemplate that as finite creatures, finite beings, finite minds? This is a most blessed beatitude, isn't it? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let's first look at the condition of the natural man's heart. We have to start there. We have to start there. Because the Beatitudes are not without a context. And we need to look at the context of the Bible. It has been said repeatedly that Jesus always addresses the heart, and rightly so. He always addresses the hearts. And we'll see that tonight, too, in tonight's sermon, where we like to address the letter of the law, but Jesus addresses the spirit of the law. He likes to address the heart. And he declares, happy or blessed are the pure in heart. So before we examine the condition of the blessed, we need to examine first the condition of the natural man's heart. Lest we mistake in who we really are by nature. Today when people talk about the heart, what do they usually talk about? They talk about their feelings, their emotions, passions. He's got a, a passionate heart. I feel a certain way that my, my heart feels something. That's typically how people define the heart. The Bible defines the heart as consisting of three things in particular. The mind, that is how we come to understand and know things, and how we reason but it also consists of the will. After we think and reason and understand, we live out what we believe with our wills, decisions, choices we make. We choose to do things by what we know and understand. 
So the mind, the will, and the affections. The affections are those desires that we have. God gave us desires. He gave us affections. Appetites. But what do we do in our being? How do we take what God has given us that are good? How do we make a mess of it? You think about marriage. You think about sex within the boundaries of marriage. But we, by nature... Take sex, which is a good gift of God in the, con- in the context of marriage, and we make a mess of it. And Jesus goes in so far to say, even if you lust after someone that is committing adultery. And so Jesus deals with the heart. And the condition of the natural man's heart, his mind, his will, and his appetites are messed up. They're defiled or impure, corrupt. And this is where we get the doctrine of total depravity, that every aspect of man's being, his mind, what's called the noetic effects of sin, it comes from the word noose, noetic. The mind is defiled because of original sin. Every part of man's heart is depraved, touched, and corrupted by sin. Jeremiah 17, verses 9 and 10, has a very glim but honest look at the heart, doesn't it? You know this well. The Lord says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately what? Sick. Who can understand it? I can't even understand the depth of my sin. The Lord says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. The heart is corrupt and impure. This is the condition of the natural man's heart. And throughout history, particularly in the past two centuries, psychiatrists, psychologists, and therapists try to blame man's troubles or condition on the environment or the body. Particularly in our day, we see the body as being the problem. My body's the problem. It doesn't coincide with my affinity towards other people, so I'm going to change my body. Change the environment, change the body, and you change man. And you change man's behavior. Our problems don't go away, do they? You do that. We can't run from them because they dwell in our hearts. We have diseased hearts, and we take these diseased hearts with us wherever we go in life. So the heart is the source of the problem. And out of the heart 
expose all sorts of unpleasant vices and dangerous vices. And too often we don't start with the heart. Jesus says, and here's another point here I want to make about the Beatitudes just in general. Jesus unpacks all of these Beatitudes throughout the Gospel of Matthew. I read through Matthew a number of times in writing this sermon series. And what's fascinating is how the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount serve as an outline of Matthew's entire Gospel because he's going to unpack these Beatitudes, what Jesus teaches here. And he says on a number of occasions, for out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Similarly, at Matthew chapter 15, verse 19, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Yeah, the environment, even sin's effect on the human body, may affect us. We don't want to downplay that. But the heart is severely sick. And because of the condition of the natural man's heart, human beings are polluted and found guilty before God. Consequently, no one is pure in heart. And so Jesus is saying, blessed are the pure in heart. How is that possible? How is it impossible in light of what he teaches in the following chapters of Matthew? You see, that's why we have to begin with the condition of the natural man's heart. My condition, your condition. Because it makes what we'll see the promise of Christ later, it makes that even so much more beautiful. So much more beautiful. Let us remember what Scripture teaches. Without holiness, without holiness, no one will what? See the Lord. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. So let me ask you a question. How many of you can raise your hand in your head? Raise your hand. can say that you are blessed because you have a pure heart. By nature, you can say that you have a pure heart. From our natural condition, from our nat- now listen carefully, from our natural condition, we can't make ourselves pure. From our state or condition of weakness and misery, we can't make ourselves Christian. It's impossible. And yet the Bible says without holiness, no one will see the Lord. That's why it's important to see this in the light of all the Bible. So secondly, we look at the condition of the blessed. The condition of the blessed 
Happy is the man who is pure in heart. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Someone who is pure, clean, innocent. He is the blessed or happy man. The word pure in our text, in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, the word means they're those very things, clean, pure, innocent. But it also has this meaning, and, and take note of this, it has the meaning of nothing being mixed in with it. There's no admixture. There's no water and oil. There's no gasoline and water. There's no Christ and Baal. There's no Christ and idols. There's no Christ and Belial. There's no being a Christian and being unequally yoked with unbeliever. So there's no admixture. That's the one who is pure in heart. One who is found to be having no mixture of Christ and idols. Only the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ makes us what we are not by his blood and righteousness. By his blood and righteousness, he makes us righteous. He makes us pure in heart. He makes us what we are not. That's why the pure in heart have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus and his spirit. The pure in heart have been cleansed, washed. We, we see this symbolized in baptism. The washing away of sin. The washing away of filth and impurity. How? By the blood of the Lamb. By the blood of Jesus. In the Old Testament, God promised a new covenant when he will place his spirit on his people and they will be sprinkled with clean water. They will be washed and he will give his people a new heart, removing the heart of stone and giving them a heart of flesh. Ezekiel chapter 36. Have you been washed by the blood of the Lamb? Have you been made clean? That's where it starts. That's where purity in heart begins. To take care of the natural man's condition, there has to be a spiritual cleansing, a washing away. And praise be to God for Jesus who washes away our sins. And we receive this precious promise through the instrument of faith, faith in the Lord, Faith in the Lord. So the pure in heart have been cleansed by the blood of Christ and His Spirit. The pure in heart have been granted faith to believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved and made pure before God. The pure in heart are therefore loyal to the Lord. Your loyalties lie in God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
the unconverted have their loyalties in the things of this world, in themselves. But the Christian has their loyalty in the Lord. There's no admixture. We are citizens of the kingdom of light, not the kingdom of darkness. For the pure in heart have been cleansed. The pure in heart have faith in the Lord Jesus. The pure in heart are loyal to the Lord. The pure in heart, therefore, have desires, have the desire to be holy as He is holy. What is your desire for holiness? To be like Christ, to walk like Christ, to live as Christ calls us to live. The pure in heart are holy in heart. 1 Peter chapter 1, the apostle writes, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Holy conduct, holy lives come from a holy and pure heart. A heart that has already been cleansed by Jesus, set apart by him through faith in his name. Is the church preaching this? Is the church preaching holiness? Is the church preaching righteousness? Is the church preaching godliness? Sometimes churches don't want to preach this because it may give the impression that we're saved by works. It works righteousness. We're saved by grace. We can't talk about holiness. That's only part of the good news. The good news is that not only has Jesus cleansed us of our sins and made us pure in heart, but he's also doing a work in us. He's cleansing us and creating us according to his image and likeness, which includes holiness. Holiness. As I was thinking and reflecting upon this, came across a quote from President Woodrow Wilson many years ago. He wrote about an account, uh, an experience that he had that he never forgot. And he said one day that he was visiting a barber. It was a very common place, common workplace, and he was visiting a barber getting a haircut. As he was lying in the chair, he was aware that there was a personality in the room. A man had come quietly upon the same errand as himself, came to get a haircut, and he sat in the chair next to Wilson. Every word the man uttered, Woodrow Wilson wrote, though it was not in the least didactic, showed a personal and vital interest in the man who was serving him. Before I got through with what was being done to me, I was aware that I attended an evangelistic service because D.L. Moody was in the next chair. I purposely lingered in the room after he had left 
and noted the singular effect that his visit had upon the barbers in that shop. They talked in undertones. They did not know his name. They did not know who had been there, but they knew that something had elevated their thoughts. I felt that I left that place as I should have left a place of worship. Woodrow Wilson was so profoundly impacted by the holiness and faith of D.L. Moody, who came and lived his life the same way he would live it before anyone else, any other person. He exemplified being pure in heart toward his neighbor. You see, it's not only the pure in heart before God, but it's the pure in heart before your neighbor. Pure in heart, practice, desire to practice holiness. One more thing the pure in heart do, and that is they do not practice deceit or hypocrites in thought, word, or act. And this comes from Psalm 24. Blessed are the pure in heart because only the pure in heart, now listen, only the pure in heart have access to God and his presence because they have been qualified by God to see him. So they have access by God to enter his presence because they have been qualified to see God and enter his presence. That is the condition of the blessed. And now I ask you, as I asked at the end of the last point, can you, in your head, raise up your hand and say that, yes, I am pure of heart because God, through Christ, qualifies me. Because God, in Christ, gives me access to my God in heaven. That I am cleansed and washed and loved by my Lord. And he has so transformed my heart that my heart is now loyal to him. My heart seeks to be holy as he is holy. My heart desires to not be deceitful, to not be hypocritical. Because lastly, the promise of Christ is only for those who are pure in heart. Congregation of Christ, believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, our eyes will behold the most glorious thing, person. The most glorious person, when I say thing, the glory of the Lord is the manifestation of his attributes. The person of God that our eyes have ever beholden. Lost in wonder, love, and praise. What a promise. Because there's nothing in all creation that can compare to what we will behold in heaven when we see him. 
You ever go to beautiful parts of the country and you look out into the landscape and you see how beautiful it is and your heart immediately goes to the God, your creator? This is going to surpass that. This is going to infinitely surpass that. We will behold our great and awesome God with our very eyes. But I ask the question, what are we even talking about when we say we will see God? What are we even saying? What is Christ promising to you and me, beloved? To what extent will you and I see God? Face to face. Will we look at him as we look at another human being? And so it's important that we tread very carefully in this point because our minds cannot comprehend the teaching of Christ's promise. I believe this teaching is very deep and too profound for our finite minds. The Bible teaches that God does not have a body or form like us. Jesus says that God is spirit. And those who worship him shall worship in spirit and in truth. So what will our eyes behold? What is that beautiful, magnificent, glorious sight that our eyes will behold? Well, we know that our eyes will behold Jesus himself. They will behold Jesus. We will see God. We see him now. How do we see God now on this side of glory? Well, we see his invisible attributes, namely his divine power and majesty and might in creation, Romans chapter 1. The creation declares his glory and handiwork. When it talks about the glory of God, it talks about the manifestation of God. We see his greatness. And only the people of faith who are pure in heart have spiritual eyes to see and believe the greatness of God in his creation. We behold his breathtaking sights in all creation, and we give him glory. We don't give glory to the laws of nature. We don't want to say, oh, nature, you're so wonderful and great and awesome. Evolution, you did all this. Praise be to you. No, the pure in heart say, God did this. We see his glory. But this is the same way that we see God as Jesus is promising here. Is it a seeing or a beholding his attributes, his characteristics, the glory of God in the brightness of being in heaven? Jesus promises that we will see God in heaven. The Apostle Paul wrote, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. We will have immediate knowledge of God in heaven. 
when we look at the whole of Scripture, when we talk about seeing God in heaven, we will behold the immediate knowledge of heaven because right now in this set of glory, our knowledge is only mediate. We know in parts. But we will have immediate knowledge of God and we will see God in all his glory and splendor and we will see the Lord Jesus Christ in all his glory. We will see him, Jesus, who is God in flesh, face to face. I think about Philip when he asked Jesus, Lord, show us the Father. We want to see the Father. And it's enough for us. And Jesus says, have I been, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has what? Seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? So when we behold in heaven the glorified, risen King Jesus, we are beholding God, the Son. First John chapter 3. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So even there, John picks up on that theme, the pure in heart. Those who hope in the Son have purified themselves and will see the Son in all his beauty and majesty. Moses looked, wanted to look upon God, and God said to him in Exodus chapter 3, Nobody can look upon me and what? Live. But in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus in heaven, we will put, look upon God and live forever because Christ is there. Our flesh is there. The divine Son is there. We see God now, and we will see him in the new heavens and new earth, giving praise and adoration to his name. Do you long to see Jesus? This is when you will see him face to face. And only the pure in heart receive this promise, this promise of Christ. And then comes the end in Revelation chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of water, the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. No longer will there be anything accursed but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And the night will be no more, and they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. The presence and power and glory and majesty of Almighty God will be with his people in the new heavens and earth. That is how we see God. In all of his purity. And because of Christ and his shed blood 
and his righteousness, he has given us pure hearts to ascend the hill of the Lord and to enter into his most holy presence. Nothing but the blood will get you in. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Will you see God in that day? I speak to each individual in this sanctuary and whoever's watching via live stream. Will you see the beatific vision in that day? Rejoice, O pure in heart, and be glad, for you shall see God. Amen. Let's pray. O Father in heaven, we thank you that you, O Lord, by your grace and your electing love, you have called a people to yourself a people to be cleansed and washed, a people to be made pure in hearts so that they may show forth the purity of heart in the way in which they live their lives toward their neighbor. Oh, Father, we pray that we would be a people who desire holiness, a people who desire to walk in complete loyalty to our Christ, our God, our Savior. And, oh, Lord God, we thank you. We thank you, oh, Lord, that by your grace we will see you. We, oh, Lord, will be in the presence of Almighty God and bask in the beauty of your majesty. And we will know sin no more because we will be made like Christ. Never able to sin again. Knowing sin no more. Not even able to sin. Because we will be in your glorious presence. Having been made like our Savior with resurrected, glorified, immortal bodies. And we will reign with him forever. Oh, grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sins. Oh, Father, help us. Help us to contemplate and meditate upon such a glorious truth, a joy-filled truth. We pray this in your precious name.